Bibles, if you would please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm really enjoying our study in 1 Corinthians. We find a lot of practical applications in this book, and we're able to discover many different ways to overcome problems in churches. I mean, common problems that arise among all churches. But as practical as the book of 1 Corinthians is, there, there's also a lot of doctrine that we can learn from this. One thing that we've learned from our study of Ephesians on Wednesday nights is that in order to have the right practice, you have to have the right doctrine. And there's so many churches today that say, well, we're not really concerned about doctrine. We don't want to teach doctrinal matters. We just like to preach on practical things. Well, the truth of the matter is we'll never get our practice right until we get our doctrine right. And in order to get our doctrine right, we have to go to the Word of God. So we really have to know God's Word. In order to understand God's Word properly, we have to have wisdom. And that's because the Bible is a very puzzling book. You read the Bible and maybe you don't understand it very well, but we can't really understand what's written in the Bible unless we have Holy Spirit-guided wisdom. Now, today we're going to learn something about wisdom. You know, you can be a very highly intelligent person, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you have wisdom. That's because wisdom doesn't have anything to do with intelligence. Now, wisdom may involve intelligence, it may use intelligence, but, but you don't have to be intelligent in order to be wise. I heard this story about intelligence that kind of illustrates the principle. The quarterback for the Oakland Raiders had never received his college degree. And so he started into the pros without actually having finished college, but he was taking correspondence courses and all different things like that in order to finally get his college degree. And so he was ready to receive his degree, but he's no longer in college. So they decided that they were going to award this degree to him at halftime of one of the football games. Well, all he had to do was just answer one question, and he would receive his degree. So they asked him the question. It was very simple. What is four plus two? And the quarterback of the Oakland Raiders said, I know that. I know the answer to that. Four plus two equals six. And there was this huge sigh across all of the stadium. And all at once, all the Raiders fans said, give him another chance. I don't know about the wisdom of being a Wade Raiders friend, but it doesn't take very much intelligence, apparently. Well, sorry, Bob and Bronwyn back there. (laughs) Wisdom has nothing to do with intelligence. Well, today we're going to read about wisdom from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Stand with me, please, as we read God's Word. We're looking at 2 Corinthians 2, beginning with verse number 6. And here Paul writes, Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, Yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God hath ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, Neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. 
Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Heavenly Father, we thank you for another great opportunity to be in your house today. Lord, help us as we preach your word today. Help us to understand some things that your word makes, uh, tells us about and makes clear to us. Speak to our hearts as we preach the word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like you to look at verse number 7 of this text again. It says, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. You'll notice several times throughout the Scriptures as you read the Bible that Paul speaks about mysteries. And when he uses that word mystery, he's not talking about an Agatha Christie novel uh, and not a Sherlock Holmes novel. He's not talking about something that we simply will never be able to understand. But when he speaks of a mystery according to the Word of God, he's talking about something that God has revealed to us, something that wasn't previously understood by men, but now God has revealed this to us through the apostles and the early prophets. Now, Paul says that this particular mystery that he's talking about was the hidden wisdom of God. And God ordained this wisdom and what he did before the world began. And really, the mystery that he's talking about here is the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is how that God had designed to save his people from their sins. Now, the salvation that God designed was not something that he put into place after Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden. This wasn't a hastily devised plan, but rather God knew from the very beginning exactly what would happen, and he designed a way by which man could be saved. And so we really need to understand that when Jesus Christ came into the world, that was a predetermined event. God already knew what would happen, and he already arranged everything that Jesus Christ would come into the world. In Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, the scripture says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. The book of Acts tells us that God predetermined that wicked hands would slay his son. Well, the wisdom that God designed... This plan of salvation that God designed to bring his people to himself was something that really escapes us. We really can't understand this unless God, through his spirit, begins to reveal this to us through men like the Apostle Paul. Denying that God ordained all things that would come to pass, denying that God has actually chosen his own people before the foundation of the world and that he would bring them to salvation— does not change the fact that that is exactly what God did. We have these things recorded in Scripture, and there's simply too much there for us to deny what the Scripture so very clearly says. But this is the wisdom of God, and this wisdom that God gives is revealed to us in special ways. Now, today I want to talk to you about three ways in which wisdom is revealed. First of all, true wisdom is revealed by the Spirit of God. Now, if you look at verse number 10, this is really the focus verse of the passage. It says, But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. So God didn't intend that this mystery should remain a mystery forever. 
But God decided that in his wisdom, then uh, he would reveal all of this to us by the Spirit. Now, you'll notice as we read the passage this morning that there are three spirits that are spoken of. And two of these spirits are not the way by which we gain the wisdom that God would have us to know. Now, the first one is the spirit of the world. And Paul is telling us that wisdom does not come to us by the spirit of the world. In verse number 12, he says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world. Well, what is the spirit of the world? What's he, what's he mean? Well, he's talking about the world's intelligence. He's talking about science and the world of academia. He's telling us that the, this particular knowledge is not something that we gain by our experience. And Paul never would have known anything like this. He would have never known these things of God by anything that the natural world has to reveal. You simply cannot understand spiritual matters by the intellect of the world. And so there isn't a science book that you can pick up. There are no history books that you can read about this. There are no laboratories that you can go to. There are no test tubes that you can use. You can't find it out in Petri dishes. Nothing will ever demonstrate the kind of wisdom that Paul's talking about here. So the world then is at a complete loss to see this because there's nothing natural in the world that can reveal it to us. And so when you hear a scientist who has 14 degrees behind his name tell you that God does not exist, and when you hear people tell you that there is no intelligent design to the universe, there is no maker behind it all, you can just write that down that they're wrong about it because you couldn't prove all of this by empirical, empirical proof anyway. You can't get into the mind of God, into the spirit of God, by the spirit of the world and what you learn by the world's knowledge. Now, in our hospitals, we find that there are doctors that could put you on an operating table. And that doctor can take things out of your body and put things back in. Today, they can take your heart out, of course, and put into your body an artificial heart. But what is that? It's artificial. And that's because there is no doctor who's ever been able to create a human heart. In fact, there's no doctor that's been able to create any human tissue at all, much less a heart. But God has given some people certain abilities to do things, and certainly by the wisdom of the world and intellect of the world, people do learn how to do things. I'm amazed at what some people can do. Uh, sometimes I, I take my car to, to Sean Chaddock, Joni's husband, and he can take my car and begin to work on it, and he can tear that car apart, have it in a million pieces laying on the shop floor, and at the end of the day, he knows how to put all of those pieces back together. Give me a toolbox... And I'll go out here in the parking lot and I can take Randy and Linda's brand new car and I can tear it apart, I promise you. I can get it all apart. I can scatter it all over that parking lot out there, but I can't put it back together. I might get it back together, but it looked like something from outer space and you wouldn't be able to drive it away from here. You'd have to push it off the lot. Well, I'm amazed at what some people can do. God has really, you know, given people some, some learning, some intellectual learning. And men have figured out how to do certain things. But where is there a man, where is there a mechanic who could take your car and say, you know, I think this car needs a new spark plug. And so, like that, calls a spark plug out of thin air. Well, there's no mechanic that's able to do that. Where is there a man who could say, well, this car needs a new engine. And so uh, uh, he speaks the word and out of thin air, there comes a, a V8 engine with 32 valves and fuel injection. Well, that doesn't happen. No man is able to do that. What man could think 
the words and speak the word and call a car into existence, not anyone. And yet the Bible says in Hebrews eleven three, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. God called it all out of nothing. Now, Paul had to deal with some very intelligent men. He, 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 he spoke among people that were those great Greek orators that we talked about last week. He faced the greatest philosophers that were in Rome. He faced them in Athens and in Corinth. But none of them had ever attained the type of wisdom that could explain all the mysteries of the universe. Not one of them knew the true God, and that's because they didn't have a relationship with God. And without a relationship with God, you'll never understand these things. The evidence for God's existence, truly, that's all around us. There's no way we can deny that God exists. But how to have a relationship with that God, we simply don't understand. That only comes to us through a different type of wisdom. Well, then there's another spirit that he speaks about in the passage. And this spirit is the spirit of man. And Paul says, we don't learn these things. We don't gain this wisdom by the spirit of man. And in verse number 11, he says, For what man knoweth the things of man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Well, there in that verse, Paul's making a comparison. Man is a created being. And it's true, he stands at the very top of God's order of creation, at the very top. But there's only things that he can understand because he has the spirit of man in him. Now, as a man, I understand the way that men think because I am also a man. I don't understand at all the way that women think. That doesn't, that doesn't make sense to me at all. I don't understand that because I am a man. And any man who understands how a woman thinks, then I don't know if I want to spend too much time with that man. A few weeks ago, Brother Larry Jefferson came into our uh, snack shack wearing a pink shirt. And I asked him, well, what's that pink shirt all about? And he said, well, I'm just trying to get in touch with my feminine side. And I said, well, I don't understand that because I've got a spirit of man in me. That doesn't make much sense. I don't understand why Jason carries a purse. I mean, I've got the spirit of man in me. Well, of course, Paul's talking about here when he says man, he's actually speaking about mankind, men and women. If you're a feminist, of course, he's speaking of humankind. But we understand what goes on in people's minds because we're human. An animal doesn't understand things that go on in a man's mind because he's an animal. He doesn't have the spirit of man. He has animal instincts, so he doesn't think. He doesn't act like a man. I don't understand what what animals do because I am not an animal. Now, I've heard that some people do have horse sense, and I've heard that horse sense often is better than man's common sense. You know, someone asks, what is horse sense? Well, horse sense is actually what keeps horses from going out and betting on men running around a track. They know a lot better than that. Someone said horse sense is stable thinking. But we have the spirit of the world, the Bible says, and that's the intellectual knowledge. People have that. But all men don't have intellectual knowledge. But it's true that all men do have the spirit of men. Now, man's spirit is what we might call his common sense. We have intellectual learning, but man also has common sense. Mark Twain once illustrated the difference between common sense and intellectual learning. He told the story about a a ferry captain on the Mississippi River, and this ferry captain had a regular passenger who was a professor at a college. 
So this professor was riding on the ferry one day, and he asked the ferry captain, he said, do you know anything at all about theology? And the ferry captain said, well, I don't know anything at all about that there theology. And so the college professor said, well, then you have wasted one-third of your life. He asked him, do you, do you uh, know anything about philosophy? And the ferry captain said, I don't know anything about that there philosophy. And the college professor said, well, then you've wasted another one-third of your life. Well, about that time, the boat's traveling down the river, the ferry's traveling down, and it hits a rock right in the middle of the river, capsized the boat. It threw the ferry captain and the college professor over into the water. The ferry captain swam to the shore, and he cried out back to the professor. The professor is splashing around in the water. He's kicking and yelling, and he cries out to him, Do you know how to swim? And the college professor says, no, I don't know how to swim. And the ferry captain said, well, then I guess you've wasted your entire life, haven't you? You see, there are some things that we need to know and we learn these things, but there's some very basic things that you simply cannot get along without. And God has provided for us both intellectual learning and he gives us common sense, but neither of those things are sufficient for us to understand the spiritual things of God. And so now Paul speaks about a different spirit here. And he says, this is the way that you understand what God says. And we understand and we receive this wisdom by the spirit of God. Now, verse number 12 says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us by God. Now, let's look back at that comparison again. It's not the spirit of the world. We've established that. The end of verse 11 says that just as a man can only understand the way that a man thinks because he is a man, so the only way that the spiritual things of God are understood is by the spirit. So how do you understand spiritual things? They're understood by the Holy Spirit of God who comes to indwell us. See, this is what happens when you get saved. The Holy Spirit comes to live in you, and that Holy Spirit is actually the Spirit of Jesus. And so that's Jesus living in you. And when you have Jesus living in you, then you begin to understand the words of Jesus and what he commands. You begin to understand the Bible. You understand what God says, because now you have this different spirit that's in you. Well, what does that Holy Spirit do for us? Well, he he convicts us of sin. He converts us from our lost condition But the Bible also says he does something else. Now go back to that focus verse in verse number 10 again. It says, But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. So what does the Holy Spirit do? He gives you the ability to understand things that this world simply cannot understand. You know there are many preachers who've studied plenty of theology... They've been to school, they've been to seminaries, they've memorized all different kinds of facts. But many times, preachers never reach this spiritual understanding that the Bible is talking about. When I was a child, my dad used to pastor a small church in the the hills of Kentucky. That was when I was really little. And I've told you about this before, that experience of being in that little country church. But I met a lot of people there. Uh, Most of the people... In fact, just about all of them were farmers. Most of them weren't well, real well-educated. I mean, I, I don't recall any of them having much formal education, and I really can't even remember any of them that went to college. I'm sure there were some. 
But there was a lot of uncommon wisdom among those people. I remember I had a Sunday school teacher uh, when I was in the beginners and the primaries, and she was a big woman. She was a very robust woman. And uh, she, was, she taught the class. Uh, back then, of course, we didn't have two- and three-year-old class and four- and five-year-olds in first grade, nothing like that. Back then, we started out in the beginners. And when you first went to church as a child, you started in the beginners, very young. Then you went to the primaries. Then you went to the juniors class. Then you went to the intermediate class. Well, my beginning teacher, she, she was really a nice lady. She was one of the nicest person that you'd ever meet. She loved us kids. She was just an old country lady. I remember that she used to chew tobacco. Probably don't know too many women that chew tobacco today, but uh, back in that country in Kentucky, everybody had something to do with tobacco. You smoked it, you, you uh, inhaled it, you, you, you chewed it. Uh, I don't know what else you could do with it. If you could do it, they did it with tobacco. But she used to chew tobacco. And when she didn't have a spittoon, in the class, she didn't have anything to do with that, you know, that amber was what they call it. How many of you ever chewed? Nobody confesses to that, okay. Uh, she didn't have anything to do with that chew, and so what she would do is she would take her dress, and she'd pull it out like this, and she'd go right down the front. I don't know what she had in there, but something caught that. But, I, you know, I, I was really impressed by this lady. Obviously, she wasn't a Harvard graduate, she didn't have all this intellectual learning. She, she didn't have all of that, but she did have good spiritual wisdom. She was somebody who loved the Lord, and what she knew how to do was to communicate the love of God to us kids. So what she had, it wasn't something that you could learn in books. I still remember her today. I mean, she made this impression upon me. And she knew some things that there are many preachers who never come to find out. They just never get to this kind of learning. So this wisdom of God, this is revealed by the Spirit. The intellectual knowledge of the world obviously was not what she had. The Spirit of man didn't tell her this, even though she did have the Spirit of man because she was human. What she had was the Spirit of God living in her. And the Spirit of God is the one who revealed this wisdom. So that's what Paul's saying. You can't understand about God unless you have the indwelling Holy Spirit. Now, that leads me to the second observation today, and that is true wisdom is revealed to the children of God. Very sorry to tell some of you today, I'm afraid, that you don't have this wisdom. And this wisdom is not available to you. And the reason it's not is because you are not in the family of God. This is not found out by the world. You don't get this because it comes from the spirit of man. It's not because you've been born into the world and so therefore you are human and you're capable of this knowledge or this wisdom, not at all. This is reserved only for the children of God. And if this wisdom was available to all, then the inevitable outcome would be what Paul says here in verse number 8. He says, "...which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory." And so if men naturally understood these things, they never would have crucified Christ. When Jesus came, they would have recognized who he was. They, they would have exalted him. No way that they would ever let anybody nail Jesus to a cross. Not if they had this kind of knowledge. You know, there's an interesting twist on this because there are some who say that the princes of the world that we see in that verse, they say, well, that refers to the demonic powers. That refers to the devil. 
And they say that if the devil knew about how all of this would turn out, that he would never have instigated the crucifixion. The devil thought, well, he's defeated. We've nailed him to the cross. He's dead. Now we have the victory. He's in the grave, and we're not going to let him out. But only if the devil had known that Jesus would rise from the dead and that he would come out with power and glory and demonstrate victory over death, well, the devil never would have allowed him to be crucified. You know something? That makes a wonderful little preaching point. Makes a good point that you can say, but that's what happens when you begin to apply man's wisdom to the Scriptures. Because the truth of the matter is, the devil did not crucify Christ. God crucified Christ. Jesus was his sacrifice. That was his decision. We had, the devil had no power over it. Christ was God's sacrifice, not man's. God sacrificed him for sin. And when God did that, he made atonement for our sins. Now, that interpretation I gave you a moment ago, it ruins the continuity of the scripture. Because what's Paul doing here? He's contrasting the spirit of God and the spirit of man. But let's go on here. Notice verse number nine. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. So there are some things that God has revealed to his children, and these things are revealed by the Holy Spirit. And once again, if you are not in God's family, then you're simply not privy to this information. There are two perspectives from which uh, we can look at these things. And the first one is that man's perception is limited. Man's perception of what we're talking about here is very limited. That's because there's a spiritual world out there. This world is unseen. It's unheard. No one who hasn't been regenerated by the Holy Spirit knows about this world. Now, for a natural man, there are five ways that we perceive what goes on around us. We all know what those are. They're called the five senses. You see with your eyes, you hear with your ears, you taste things, you smell things, you touch things. But we're talking about a world here that can't be seen. You don't see this world with your eyes. You can't hear this world with your ears. You don't taste it. You don't smell it. You don't feel it. There aren't any natural senses by which you understand that spiritual world. And so when it comes to the spiritual world, man is limited. His perception is limited. Eyes can't see it. Ears can't hear it. And so in short, what Paul says, it is not entered into your heart or into your mind. But there are some things that God's people understand. Man's perception is limited, but the Bible also teaches that God's preparation is unlimited. Did you know that in verse number nine there that that's often used as a funeral text? You probably been to a funeral at some time or another where a preacher read verse number nine, and he may say something like this. He would say, well, this body lies here, and while this person was alive, they had no idea what God prepared for them. But now they've awakened in heaven, and now they can understand everything that God has done. Do you know this scripture does not say that? It doesn't say that at all. This passage is about revealed mysteries. When you get saved, you have the Spirit of God living in you, so you do understand some things. So you can't read verse number 9 without reading verse number 10. But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him, but God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. So the world doesn't understand it. 
They can't know it. But Paul says, you know it, and you understand it because God has revealed it to you. Now, you know, I can go out here into the streets of Roanoke Park today. I can come across people. I can ask them, do you know that you're going to go to heaven when you die? And most people will say, well, I hope so. And some people say, well, I, I, I really don't know. I want to go to heaven, perhaps. Uh, I really don't know and really can't know until we die if we're going to heaven. But I sure hope that I'm going. And really, we find out that these people are not actually interested in heaven. It's not something that they've given very much thought about because they don't think about the things of God. And neither should they think about them because they can't understand them anyway. Don't be surprised when you come across people that aren't really interested in talking about heaven and they're not really too concerned that they're going to die and go to hell. They don't understand these things anyway. The mind can't fathom it. But it's not that way if you're a child of God. God has revealed this to his children. See, I'm not waiting till I die to understand all these things. God has revealed some things for me. God says he's prepared some things for me. He prepared a table in the presence of my enemies. He does that right now because I recognize that God provides for me. I don't sit down at the table at night at the dinner table and say, well, I wonder where all this came from. I know where it came from. God supplied that for me. He prepared that for me. And so I bow my head and I thank God for that. God has prepared a home for me. Jesus said in John chapter 14 that there's a heavenly home that's prepared. You know, that means something to me right now. I understand what God's done for me. He's got a place prepared for me. I like to think about that, and I know about it. God has prepared a city for me. Hebrews says that. It says that we're going to a city with foundations whose builder and maker is God. God's prepared that for me. So when I die, and I'm lying in the casket, maybe in this church, I hope the preacher doesn't get up and say, well, now he's in heaven and he understands some things that he didn't know before. No, folks, I know about these things. I'm standing here preaching it to you right now because I understand it. I know it. God has revealed it to me because I am one of his children. And you can understand it too if you're a child of God. So there are certain things that are revealed to us. What does that mean then? What does it mean that God reveals things to us? Well, let's think back for just a moment to the time when Jesus was speaking to his disciples. And he asked them, he said, who do men think that I am? And the disciples said, well, Jesus, uh, some of them think that you're Isaiah. And some of them think that you're Jeremiah. And there are even some people who think that you're John the Baptist who's risen from the dead. And then Jesus asked again, "But, but who do you say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus replied to him in Matthew 16. He said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And what Jesus says is, You didn't figure this out by flesh and blood. Man's intellect didn't tell you about this. If it did, all the Jews would understand it. Man's spirit didn't tell you about this. The way that you know this is because the Father in heaven has revealed it to you by the Holy Spirit. So that's what Paul's saying here. Not your ears, not your eyes, not your heart, not by any natural senses. This comes by the Spirit of God, and it comes to God's children alone. So what have we learned so far? Wisdom is revealed by the Spirit of God, and it's revealed only to the children of God. 
Well then, how do we get this wisdom? So let's talk about that. Number three, true wisdom is revealed in the word of God. Where do you find the resource for wisdom? Well, you don't find it in an encyclopedia. You don't go to the dictionary and read that. You don't find it in textbooks. The resource for this wisdom is the word of God. So God's word is, God's wisdom is revealed to us through the pages of the Bible. Now let me tell you quickly two things about the Bible. How did we get the Bible in the first place? We've been talking about the Spirit today, and the Holy Spirit is how we got the Bible. We got it from the Holy Spirit. So first we can say we got it by the inspiration of the Spirit. The way that this information came to us is by the inspiration of the Spirit. Well, who did the Holy Spirit inspire? Well, I can tell you today that I'm not standing up here telling you things that I made up. The Holy Spirit didn't inspire me to write these things. This Bible was written by men who were Holy Spirit inspired. As we read the passage, you'll see that Paul uses the word we in verse number 6, we in verse number 7, us in verse number 10, we in verse 12, and we in verse 13. And the we that he's referring to there is the apostles and the prophets of God. These things were revealed to them, and so they wrote them down. Verse number 13 says, Which things also we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And the words that he talks about there in verse number 13 are the words of the Bible. It's the very same thing we've been reading today. This is what the Holy Spirit inspired. So Paul didn't choose the words. These are not words that he chose and thought, well, this sounds like that's pretty good. So I'm going to write this down and and, uh, I'll write to that church at Corinth and tell them this. No, the Holy Spirit told Paul. The Holy Spirit chose the words and revealed to Paul what he should write down. Now, this is why you have to be very careful today about modern Bible versions. Be very careful about modern Bible versions because what they attempt to do is to inject men's thoughts into the text and they want to say what men would say about these scriptures rather than what God has actually said. And when you take those words and change them like this, then you no longer have the Holy Spirit's words. You don't have what he wrote. Now, God has his own choice of words, and I think Paul specifically says words here. He doesn't say thoughts, he doesn't say stories, but he's using words. And he uses that because he means words in their proper order. And if you study that out, you'll find out that's exactly what he means. Words used in their proper order. So all scripture then is given by inspiration of God. Now let's go back to that thought we were discussing before. A man understands because he has the spirit of man. Verse 11 says, For what man knoweth the things of man, save the spirit of man which is in him. So the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. So we have all these words that have been written down in the Bible, but for the vast majority of the world, and unfortunately maybe even for somebody sitting here in this room today, that this is nothing but words on paper. Does it mean anything more to you than simply words on paper? But what this actually is, is the mind of God. This is the mind of God, the mind of the Holy Spirit of God who revealed these things to these apostles. So God is a spirit, and since man, the natural man, does not have the spirit of God, it doesn't come to him naturally, since he doesn't have the spirit of God, natural man does not understand what's written in the Bible. 
So how do we solve that problem? We've got all these men out here, and none of us have the spirit, any other spirit but the spirit of man. We don't have the spirit of God, yet the Bible's written by the spirit of God. How do we understand that? Well, here it is, by the indwelling spirit. You mentioned it a moment ago. You don't have this spirit naturally. It's not a part of your makeup when you're born. You don't get this when you're born. But guess what? You get it when you're born again. When you trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that's when the Holy Spirit comes in. And you have the indwelling Spirit of God. And now you understand these words that are printed on this very fine India paper. Now you begin to understand it. But there's yet one more caveat that we need to see. Verse number 6 says, Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect. So this wisdom is for those who are perfect. Wow, does that rule me out? I'm not perfect. Well, it doesn't mean somebody who doesn't make mistakes. Perfect here means mature. And you know who the mature Christians in Corinth were? They were the Christians that had got beyond all of those divisions that were taking place in the church. They were the ones led by the Spirit of God, and they weren't following men. They weren't the ones who were of Paul or of Apollos or of Cephas. But they are ones who are following the Spirit of God. So the more that you go through your Christian life, the more you begin to understand God's Word. You see, we simply don't expect brand new Christians to understand what seasoned Christians know. So there has to be a period of growth. We have classes. We have preaching like we have today. We have other things that go on. And all of those things are to help you to grow so that you understand the Word of God more. You see what the Bible is. If you are a Christian, the Bible is a book that God has given to you. He wants you to understand this Bible. He doesn't want you to just lay it up on a shelf somewhere and and say, well, I can't know anything about that. It's just too hard for me. You have to grow into this. You have to mature in this. And God gave you the Bible for you to understand. It's not supposed to be a mystery to us any longer. Not if we're the children of God. Now, some of you that are a little older... You may remember that back in World War II, they used to issue soldiers a Bible that had a metal cover. Any of you familiar with those? Yeah, Bibles with metal covers. They used to issue those to the soldiers. And there have actually been stories that, that came out of the war that there were men who had been shot in the war. And they thought at that moment they were dead. But then they realized that that bullet had gotten lodged in that metal cover of the Bible. Or it's lodged in the, in the pages of that Bible. And so they've got this Bible, they think, as, as their protector. I mean, this little book they've been carried around, and that protects them from all harm. And you know, that's the way that some people look at the Bible. The Bible's like my good luck charm. I'll be okay if I just carry it around. If I own one of these things, then I'm going to be all right. But that's not how God wants you to look at the Bible. The Bible is not an idol. You don't receive protection from this book simply because you own one of these things. You receive protection from it because of what's in this book, because of what you know about this book. You see, these words are God-breathed, Holy Spirit-inspired. And what do they tell us? They tell us about how God sent his only son into the world to die for sinners. The words of this Bible tell us that all men have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
That there's none of us that can approach God. None of us can have a relationship with God except through Jesus Christ. And so it tells us all of us are sinners. And then the Bible also tells us that God sent his son into the world to die for us because we were sinners. And it tells us that that sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on the cross of Calvary, that was to take our sins away. And by trusting in Jesus Christ as your personal savior, God can deliver you from the dominion and the power of sin. He can deliver you from the death that sin brings. And this Bible tells us that Jesus went to the cross. He was nailed there. He hung there on that cross. Then he died. They took him down from the cross. They put him into the grave. And then it says he gloriously arose again. And the words of this Bible tell us that Jesus Christ arose for our justification. And so the Bible says that if you will put your faith in Jesus and put your faith in him alone, stop trusting yourself, stop depending on anything that you do to get you to heaven, but depend entirely upon what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary, then the Bible says you can be saved. Having this Bible and carrying it around means nothing at all unless you know what's inside of it. And the way that you know it is because God speaks to your heart through the Holy Spirit and this Bible opens up to you. And I promise you today that if you'll trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you're not saved today, that God will open up the words of this. You can understand it because when you trust Christ, the Holy Spirit will come and live inside of you. It takes the Holy Spirit to help us to understand the meaning of the cross. I want to ask you today, would you trust him? If you're searching for wisdom, you need to look no further than the cross of Jesus Christ because that is where wisdom is found. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit of God who speaks to our heart and reveals these mysteries that we otherwise could not know. Lord, I just ask you today that there's some person here who doesn't understand the Bible, has not got the picture very clear in their minds, I just pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would open this up to them and by faith they would come to Jesus Christ for their salvation. Would you speak to some heart today? And then for those of us who are saved, help us to be diligent to study this word, to find out more about it, to apply it to our lives because we'll never be happy as servants of yours unless we know what's in the pages of this Bible. Speak to our hearts today as we sing this invitation hymn. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.